0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. It's just one of those moments where I need to revisit the scripture that I read at the beginning of our time this morning. Because of what the choir just sang, Come and see... And each of those phrases talking about something about God, something about Jesus, about what he's done and who he is. And what did we read this morning? All your works will give thanks to you, O Lord. Your godly ones will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. That's one Psalm 145, verses... Uh, 10 through 12. And then verse 21, the last verse in Psalm 145 says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. All flesh will bless His holy name forever and ever. That's in effect saying, hey, come see this God I'm worshiping. Let me tell you about Him. And that's, uh, man, how appropriate that is for today. So if you would, take in in your Bibles and turn to the fourth chapter of Ruth. We're going to be finishing up our study verse by verse through the book of Ruth. This is our fourth and final week through this beautiful Old Testament story. And as I introduce this final chapter, there's a couple of things that I just want to remind us of before we go through these final 22 verses and see how the story concludes. If you remember, before we started... Three weeks ago, I mentioned the very last verse of the book that comes before Ruth, the book of Judges, because we're told that this is taking place during the time of the Judges. And so if you look at the last verse, and you don't have to turn there, you can if you'd like, it's the book immediately prior to Ruth, it's only a couple pages back probably in your Bible. But Judges chapter 21 and verse 25 tells us, this is how we're left before we get to Ruth. In those days there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What a, what a terrible thing. You know, what a terrible commentary on their world and their culture and their context. And, and yet, <laughs> hello, it's the same thing today. It's as if there's no king in Israel and everybody's just doing what they thinks right. The only problem is, The Bible tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, and it only ends in death. Right, so this is a sad commentary because if we interpret this correctly in its context, that's what we find out. Everybody's just doing what they think's right. Well, guess what? What we think's right is terrible, typically, right? Because we're sinful humanity. Now, that's the verse prior to the beginning of this story that we have gone through over the last several weeks. Now, the last verse of last week, Ruth chapter 3 and verse 18, Naomi says to Ruth as she's wondering what's going to happen, she says, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter falls, for the man will not rest until he has finished this matter today. So there's hope even in the midst of nonsense Naomi counsels her daughter-in-law to say just wait wait and see what happens because let me let me interpret this for you even in this story Boaz and Ruth right are the characters let me tell you what Naomi's saying wait let's see what the redeemer does that's who Boaz is that's who he's representing in the story let's see what our redeemer does and how He handles this business, right? So what are we doing in our lives every day? We, 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 we live life. We have come here on Sunday morning to worship Jesus and study and learn more about Him and learn what He would have us to do in this life, how we can honor Him with what we're doing, how we're living. And it's almost as if every day we look around and if you're anything like me, You're somewhat troubled by everything that you see in the news, everything you see going on in the world, not just the world but going on in our nation and going on where we live and all the different problems, right? Does that trouble you? It it does me. And it's almost as if even in this study of this Scripture, somebody's whispering to us, Wait. Wait wait and see what your redeemer's going to do. Does that resonate with you today? When you when you observe culture, when you observe uh, the world, and you can be you're tempted maybe to be discouraged. Wait. Wait and see what the redeemer is going to do. And so today we're going to finish up uh, in Ruth chapter 4 and see the culmination of all these events and how they're going to end up. So in as a as a form of introduction, Listen to these words from Warren Wearsby that he wrote about this final chapter. The book of Ruth opens with three funerals but closes with a wedding. There's a good deal of weeping recorded in the first chapter but the last chapter records an overflowing of joy in the little town of Bethlehem. Weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning says Psalm chapter 30 and verse 5. Not all of life's stories have this kind of happy ending, but this little book, this book of Ruth, reminds us that for the Christian, God still writes the last chapter. We don't have to be afraid of the future. What, What a wonderful encouragement as we embark on this final chapter in Ruth. So... Uh, Without any more delay, let's look at Ruth chapter 4. I'm going to read beginning of verse 1 to the end of the chapter, end of the book, and the end of this story. Here's what the Bible says in Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken was passing by, so he said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sir... Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. And if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know... For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. So then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, because I would ruin my own inheritance redeem it for yourself, you may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Those were the two sons who had also had died. Verse 10, Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance." so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the gate of his birthplace, you are witnesses today. And all the people who were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram, Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon, Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz, Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse and to Jesse, David. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts. Help us to understand the word we've read today. And I pray that as we do, we'll be obedient to what you'll teach us and we'll give you glory and honor. For Christ's sake, amen. So this story has had an, uh, a very happy ending. As we read this fourth chapter and see how everything resolves, there's several things that I, I believe will help us to understand redemption a little bit more clearly. Because that's really what we're talking about here. That's the theme, redemption. Love and redemption. And so there's several things I want to point out that, that we'll see going through this story, this, the way it concludes And uh, it's broken up into a few different paragraphs, so we'll try to take one at a time and hopefully clearly understand here what God's Word shows us about redemption by teaching us through the story of Ruth and Boaz. First of all, in the first six verses here of this final chapter, we see that redemption comes at a high cost. That's really the first point that we need to make sure we catch in this last chapter. Redemption comes at a high cost. Now you see Boaz, uh, he, he starts to uh, gather in the gate of the, of the town there. And it says in the scriptures that he happens to see this other redeemer walking by. Now so, so that theme of God uh, ordering things and making sure things work out, that's happening still. Because the one he needs to talk to comes walking by when he sits down at the gate. Isn't that interesting? The man he needs to see is there. And so he, hey, hey, come over here and sit down. I need to talk to you. So he does. And then the first thing Boaz does is gathers witnesses to make sure everything is legal and appropriate and there's no misunderstanding about what's going on. So Boaz gathers with this Redeemer and the ten witnesses. He presents the prospect of redeeming the land that belonged to Elimelech. And then the other relative, the kinsman Redeemer, agrees until he hears all the facts. Now, isn't this interesting? To me, it was. It's interesting that Boaz says, if you read the text here, in verse 3, he says, Hey, Naomi's come back from Moab, and you know she's a widow, and she's got one of her daughters-in-law with her, and, and so somebody needs to buy this land. Right? So when he hears about buying the land, uh, he's like, Okay, all right, that sounds pretty good. So uh, Boaz informs him of everything in verse 4. If you'll redeem it, that's great. But if not, tell me because I, I'm in line after you. So I'm giving you the first right of refusal. I'm letting you know. And he says, uh, okay, I'll do it. So in the end of verse 4, the other redeemer, who, by the way, we don't know his name. We don't know anything about him. All we know is he was a relative and he was closer than Boaz, right? But he agrees. So at the end of verse 4, it looks like, okay, well, the other guy's going to handle this. But then look at verse 5. It's almost like Boaz, like, just incrementally shared the information. He wanted to tell him everything up front, he wanted to tell him the one part. And then, oh, by the way, let me mention this other detail. Verse 5 says, On the day you buy the land, you also need to take Ruth with you, too. Because, see, she is the widow, and she, see, here's how it goes. Elimelech died, had two sons. Well, they married while they were in Moab, but then they both died. So you see the progression of inheritance, right? So the sons inherited what belonged to Elimelech, but then they both died, so that means their wives inherited what belonged to them. Well, one of them stayed in Moab, so she forfeited whatever she was going to have. She, she didn't want any part of it. So Ruth, because she has come back and she's there and she is the widow of one of the sons, she is the one that is, is kind of rightful owner, so to speak. So he says, all right, well, you've got to take Ruth with you too. It's not just the land. It's about the inheritance of the deceased. You have to raise up the inheritance. So ra- raise up a, a, an heir, right, to, to keep the family name alive. So once he finds that out, um, never mind, <laughs> I don't really want to do that. Because what does he say? L- l- this, is, this is really interesting. Verse 6, I would ruin my own inheritance. See, at this point, here's what we see, the contrast between whoever this other relative is and Boaz. All right, th- this is the contrast. The other relative thought the cost of redemption was just too much. It was just too high. He wasn't willing to pay the cost. In other words, he wasn't willing to take Ruth. He wasn't willing to um, satisfy those uh, inheritance regulations, so to speak, and to make sure that her uh, deceased husband had his family name continue within God's people. He wasn't willing to do that because he didn't want to sacrifice his own stuff. You see that? The the cost was just too much. And see, Warren Wiersbe reminds us that there can be no redemption without the paying of a price. See, from from our point of view, salvation is free to whoever will call on the name of the Lord, right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Romans 10, 13. That's a, a concept, a principle we understand that when we preach the gospel, whoever... Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, it's free to us. That doesn't mean it's cheap. Let me say that again, just in case you didn't fully take that in. Just because redemption is free to you and I does not mean it's cheap. Somebody, somebody paid for it. You, you know when, you know, when uh, the government, this is a, a perfect Perfect illustration. This is not a political statement. It's just a fact. When the government says this is free, it's never free. Somebody's paying for it. Right? There is no such thing as, as free. It might be free to you. That doesn't mean somebody didn't pay the price. Oh, man, that was good. Y'all... y'all need, mm. yeah, gracious. When Jesus died on the cross, it cost something when He shed His blood and His body was broken for us, we get the free gift of salvation. Have you, have you heard that? I think it's in the Bible. Let me verify that. Here, I don't want to speak out of turn. Let me just verify that that salvation is indeed free because I'm pretty sure it says that somewhere in here. Oh yeah, here it is. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the only reason it's free to us is because we didn't pay the price. doesn't mean the price wasn't paid. Did you know that in John chapter 19 and verse 30 when Jesus is on the cross and He utters that famous phrase, Tetelestai! It is finished! You know what it really means? Paid in full. He wasn't just saying, he wasn't only saying the work is complete. He was saying the price is paid. And there's no balance on the account. Does that make sense? But it, it's free, though. It's the free gift. Because it is really that much of a gift. See, Boaz took the risk of love. And obedience, and his name is written down in scripture and held in high honor. But you know whose name is not written in here? This other guy who, who thought the, the cost was too much. He, get the irony here, okay? Please don't miss this. I know this is only the first little portion, but it's worth noting that this other gentleman tried to protect. His name and his inheritance. And we don't even know his name. (laughs) He's trying to protect his name and we don't even know it. It's not even included in the story. You know why? Because it's of no consequence because the the price was too high for him to pay. I'm sure glad that Jesus didn't think the price was too high for him to pay. Because he paid it in full. It is finished. By the way, that's also why we don't see Orpah's name in here anymore. The other daughter-in-law who decided to stay in the land of idols and not go to the people of God. We don't hear her anymore. Ever since she stayed behind in Moab, never hear about her again. That's, that's not uh, on accident. Okay? That's on purpose. See, redemption is way more than just kindness. It's kindness that comes at a great cost. Redemption comes at a high cost. Number two, Redemption involves someone of high character. Verse 7, you continue reading in the story, Boaz is told by this other gentleman, you redeem it. So look at verse 7, you see what's happening. Uh, He removes his sandal, gives it to another, that's the custom, so this is what the guy did. He says, you buy it for yourself, he removed the sandal. In other words, all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, everything is legal, It's witnessed by ten people there in the city gate. There's a crowd, so there's no way anybody can misunderstand what happened. Boaz is going to complete this transaction because in his view, the price is not too high. In his view, it's incredibly appropriate for everything he's doing and and what's the the consequence of the transaction. He, He thinks it's just fine. So this... Type of Christ, when you understand the, the huge symbolism here of how Ruth is a picture of the church and Boaz is a picture of Jesus and the redemption that he gives to his people, when you see this, it reminds you, why did Jesus come to earth? Why does, when Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, when he writes this beautiful description of who Jesus is and what he did... We read it in Philippians chapter 2. It says, uh, he, although he existed in the form of God, this is verse 6, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or exerted. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Being made in the likeness of men. Philippians 2.8 Being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. So do you know why that happened? Jesus came down and became related to us because He is our kinsman Redeemer. So it wouldn't do for Jesus to remain fully divine and know humanity because He wanted to identify, become related to us in our position, in our position, Life and our consequence and everything that we have to deal with—that's why he came and took the form of a man, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, so he is our redeemer in every sense of the word. He became flesh and blood, so he could die. You understand that the profound nature of what that means? He didn't just pay a bill from afar. He didn't just uh, by proxy say, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna wipe that off your." Your book, right there. You don't owe that anymore. He didn't do that. See, that's the difference. There's, there's two really uh, important theological terms here. I didn't, I didn't plan to say this, but I think it's, it, it's worth saying. There's two theological terms that are really important here, and there's a different, a fine distinction. Uh, and, and I don't know if you've heard them or not, but expiation is one, and propitiation is another. Right? They're very closely related. They both involve a Punishment being taken away. But the reason why propitiation is so important and why it's used specifically in Scripture in the New Testament multiple times is because expiation involves I'm just going to take that punishment away, I'm going to take that penalty away, and it's just not going to be paid. It's like a write-off. Okay, When, when you write off somebody's debt, somebody owes you money, All right, here, here's a good point. You lend somebody 50 bucks, and they don't pay it back. And you tell them, hey, you know what? Just don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's clear. You don't owe me anymore. Now, nobody paid you that $50 back, right? But you just forget it. Okay? It's done. That's expiation. Propitiation is you loan somebody 50 bucks, and they can't pay you back. So somebody else comes by and says, by the way, I know so owes you $50, and they can't possibly pay it, so I'm going to pay it for them. Are <laughs> uh, y'all listening? That That's amazing. That is amazing. Why would, why would they do that? They didn't know that debt. They just mercifully, graciously came by and said, you know what? This person can't possibly pay their debt. I'm just going to pay it for them. Because that's kind and gracious and merciful. That's what Jesus did. And in case you're not connecting those dots. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came and saw a people who owes a debt they can't possibly pay. And rather than just wiping it off the books and writing it off where that sin doesn't get punished, oh, it got punished. Jesus took it for us. That, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Jesus, did, That's what redemption is all about. It's someone of high character, Is required for that to happen because not just anybody will do that. Not just anybody will pay someone else's debt when they didn't know it themselves. That's the kind of Savior we have. That's the kind of Redeemer Jesus is. Please please don't miss that. That's the connection of chapter 4. If you miss everything else that's in the Bible about this in chapter 4 or what I've said about it, don't miss that. That's the kind of redeemer Jesus Christ is for his people. He sees a debt that is impossible to pay by us, and he comes by and pays it for us. And then we reap all the benefits. Remember, it's a free gift, but it's not cheap. That's what Jesus has done. So when we see this, and we see the connection, who is Boaz in this story? Why did he redeem? What were the consequences or the ramifications of him redeeming? Uh, the land and redeeming Ruth and Naomi. See, like Boaz, Jesus wasn't concerned about jeopardizing his inheritance. Instead, he made us a part of his inheritance. So just like Boaz, Jesus made his plans privately, but he paid the price publicly. And Jesus did what he did because of his love for his bride, the church. So as this story unfolds, I want you to notice a couple of things that are happening here before we get to the the next paragraph. Do you see here when uh, the people are talking in verse 11, all the people who were in the gate, the elders, we are witnesses, and then listen to the the words they say. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Do you remember who they were? Wives of Jacob? They built the house of Israel? Okay? (laughs) Okay. They, uh, and then he says, may you achieve, this, this is interesting, the end of verse 11. May you achieve wealth in Ephrathah. That's Bethlehem, Ephrathah. That, that's the name of the town. And become famous in Bethlehem. You know what the word Ephrathah means? Fruitful. They're, they're praying for the blessing of an heir. And then, may you become famous in Israel. You know who became famous in Israel? And by the way, he was born in Bethlehem. Ring any bells? Jesus. This this, this is not an accident. Remember a couple of weeks ago? There's no such thing as coincidence. Right? That's why this story is set in this town. Because there's another one who would come who would become famous in Bethlehem and become fruitful, be the the Lord of many nations. And then he says, uh, the the group, in verse 12, may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah through the seed which the Lord will give you by this young woman. There's never, it's never forgotten. God did this. The the, the child that you're going to, the Lord's going to give you that. So, redemption is, it takes a high cost. Redemption is someone of, Uh, done by someone with high character. Number three, redemption ultimately points to Christ. So Boaz and Ruth were married, and then the most amazing thing happened. Literally, the text says in verse 13 that the Lord gave her conception. Do you know who else uh, was given conception and had a baby in Bethlehem? Mary. See, the, the, the similarities here are not by accident. All this is happening to point us forward to Jesus, point us to our Redeemer. So, when we get to verse 13, and this unbelievably divinely uh, orchestrated birth, the Lord gave her conception, she had, and she gave birth to a son. It's it's enabled by him. It's a gift of God. So Ruth was having the child, but Naomi was receiving the blessing. Just like Jesus died for our sins, he paid the penalty, but we receive all the benefits. Isn't that amazing? So she was not left without a redeemer. His name would become famous in Israel. And then listen to the prayers toward Naomi. Now it's... It's Ruth who's having the child. So when you see the transition from verse 13 to verse 14, it says Ruth uh, was enabled to conceive and she gave birth to a son. But then look at verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi. They didn't say it to Ruth. They said it to her mother-in-law. Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. May His name become famous in Israel. And then listen to the prayers. May He restore your life. Do you see? Do you see? Just, just pretend like I'm not, reading, I'm not reading about Ruth or Naomi or Boaz. Pretend like I'm telling you about Jesus. Now listen to these words. May he restore your life. May he sustain you in your old age. May he provide you an inheritance. That's what Jesus has done for us. And so this, this blessing, these prayers for this family now. Uh, talk about the love of the daughter-in-law in verse 15. She loves you and she's better to you than seven sons because she's given birth to this child. And Naomi takes the child, lays him on her lap, becomes his nurse. Now look at verse 17. Because redemption ultimately points to Christ. They named the boy Obed who would be the father of Jesse, who would be the father of David. You know what the word, the name Obed means? Worshipper. Worshipper. Who do you suppose uh, we're worshipping here in this passage? We're worshipping Jesus. Because God has orchestrated this elaborate plan and this story involving these families in order that we might look forward and see Jesus. Jesus. See, Ruth gives us this picture of the gospel and the picture of God's grace. Let me tell you five things that that this shows us about redemption. We see redemption means we have an inheritance. We see redemption brings restoration. Redemption means intimacy with God, like reconciliation. Redemption is about the fame of, of a son, of the son, who would be born in Bethlehem. And, And finally, in this section, redemption comes from a son who restores our lives by raising up what was otherwise dead. You see this real subtle note about how else is the inheritance or the family line going to be continued? How else... Is the land going to be retained, the blessing of God? And, And how else is an heir going to come about? It was about to die off, right? But because the Redeemer came by and redeemed Ruth, Naomi, the land, the possession, now all of a sudden the name, the family line has been resurrected. That's also not a coincidence. What would Jesus do as his most unbelievable statement of victory? He would walk out of a tomb. He would rise from the dead. And in the same way, he's resurrected this family line by means of a redeemer. This is a picture of the gospel. So, just to summarize here as we conclude, redemption comes at a high cost, Redemption requires someone of high character. Redemption ultimately points to Christ. But the the final paragraph here is not even really about the story. It's more of a commentary on what this story means. Family trees don't lie. Family trees don't lie. Now why do you suppose this whole story would end with a genealogy? Well, I'll tell you why. You know, there was a a statement back in Deuteronomy when God's people, you know, were given the promised land and, and all the tribes, and and they had to displace the, the people who were there who were not worshiping God, who were idol worshippers. And the Moabites, that was one of the groups that were displaced, right? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 3. Uh, the Moabites were not to enter the congregation of the Lord even to the tenth generation now you say well why would they, why would they say it that way why would they use the tenth generation well I'm glad you asked because take a look at Ruth chapter 4 beginning in verse 18 the final paragraph family trees don't lie you know how many generations are represented here from Perez who was mentioned here who bore, uh, Tamar bore to Judah There's ten generations. There's ten generations in these final few verses. You know why that's significant? Because the redemption has now reversed the curse. What did Jesus do with our sin? He has reversed the curse by His blood. So when you read this genealogy, and and, and you're reminded, remember how I began with... The final verse of Judges. And then you find the book of Ruth placed between Judges and 1 Samuel. You know what's going to happen in 1 Samuel chapter 16? Young David, the youngest of eight sons of Jesse, is going to be anointed as the king. Now how did he get there, do you suppose? Well, Perez was born to Hezron. And Hezron was born Ram. And to Ram was born Amenadab. And all the way down to verse 21, Boaz had a son named Obed. And then Obed had a son named Jesse. Well, Jesse had eight sons. And the youngest of his eight sons was named David. And he was the one that looked least like a king. Except for the fact that when Samuel took a trip that day to visit Jesse and see all his sons, and he looked at all of them. Oh, surely this is him. Look at him. He's a young strapping man, and he looks like he would be a king. Nope, not him. Next. Nope, not him. Next. And then he said, do you remember? In 1 Samuel 16, you can read it later. Are these all your sons? Well, no, I got one more, but he's, you know, the youngest. He's out there messing with the sheep. Well, you better go get him. I'm not leaving until they've all walked in front of him. Let me just read you how this story really concludes from First Samuel 16. All the sons, Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. We will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. I don't know what that means. Ruddy had beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, now Samuel didn't say, the Lord said, arise and anoint him. This is him. David, the grandson of Obed, who was born to Boaz, all because Boaz redeemed Ruth and Naomi and the possession of God. Samuel took the horn of oil anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Now, one little interesting note. Before all that happened, do you remember what happened when the father Jesse and the brothers were were dumbfounded at why David would be king? Well, he's look, he's the youngest, he's tiny, he's not he can't do that. Do you remember what 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says? The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Talking about the other, other sons. God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, all this story concludes with David the king coming out of this family line. That's why the genealogy concludes the the book. So as Sinclair Ferguson would observe, Ruth teaches us, just try to wrap your mind around this, Ruth teaches us that God works on the small scale of our apparently insignificant lives while also working out this larger master plan for the world. That's true hope in, in difficulty, in trial, in adversity, in hardship. If we know Jesus, then we know God is at work in our lives to bring His Son to still more people who need His redemption. See, Jesus is the true and better Boaz. He came to this earth to become our kinsman so that He might ultimately become our Redeemer. He paid a terrible price to ransom sinners from death and hell, but He was victorious then and He stands in victory forevermore. Only the blood of the cross and the grace of forgiveness are we able to save. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. That's my Redeemer. That that Jesus, the one who looked down and saw how helpless I am and how unable I am to pay my own debt. And so He came and paid it for me. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word.